The Gospel according to Luke, the fifth chapter, beginning to read at the first verse. When the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had ceased speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great shoal of fish, and as their nets were breaking, they beckoned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Henceforth you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Whenever the minister preaches on the subject of the miracles, he's asking for trouble. He's asking for trouble because you can't please everybody on this particular difficult subject. If you try to explain the miracles, the fundamentalists say that you're irreverent, sacrilegious. If you don't try to explain the miracles in terms that people can understand, then the liberals say that you're irresponsible. And in between these two extremes, you have that large group of people who, no matter what you say in explaining the miracles, think that you're irrelevant. Yes, you'd be surprised the number of people who believe in the miracles, who know the miracles of Jesus, who think that they're wonderful, but they really don't think they have anything to say to our day and our age. They, they kind of think that God is not as active that way in the world today as he was back then. And that's too bad. That's too bad, because one of the things that the Bible, I think, is trying to tell us is that Jesus was just not a part of a miraculous age, but that you and I are a part of a miraculous world. And that the God who worked through Jesus to make miracles through him in his day, by the power of his Holy Spirit, 
He's working through us to make miracles today. But so many people don't think that way. Miracles, they think, belong to an age gone past. And that's too bad. One of the reasons I think that some feel this way is because we, we define this word miracle so loosely. We refer to things that are not miracles. A wide end or a, a tight end or a wide receiver makes, makes a great catch on the gridiron and, and you hear people saying, miraculous catch. Good catch, but I don't think it's a miracle. A student doesn't study for an exam and he tells his, his peers that if I get through this course, it will be a miracle. Well, maybe the grace of the teacher, but I don't think it's a miracle. There are many other things that we refer to as being a miracle. And consequently, we bring confusion on that particular word. The word that we know as miracle comes from the Latin, which means to wonder. To wonder. And what is it that makes you wonder? Same thing that makes me wonder. Really only two things. One, something that no man or woman can do. That makes me wonder. And the other is something that no man or no woman can understand. That makes me wonder. And when you take that definition and couple it with the New Testament interpretation of miracles, you find that in that particular sector you find two words that are used to define miracles and to describe them. One is dynamis, it's the Greek. We get our word dynamite from it, it means power. It means a power that is beyond anything that any person can possess. That's what kind of power. And the other word comes from Simeon, which means sign. A miracle gives us a sign, a signal of the way, the will, and the character of God. Now you take all of these and you tie them together, you see and a miracle is something that is beyond the comprehension of any person. It's somebody, it's, it's a power beyond anyone's possession. It's a power of God that makes manifest in the world and through us so that everybody can see something of the character, the heart, the way and the will of God. Now you take that kind of a definition and couple it with our scripture reading of today and I think under the power of the miraculous God who is working miracles in the world today shows us a way that miracles are made. The first thing I'd like to point out in this passage of the first 11 verses of the fifth chapter of Luke I think the Holy Bible is trying to tell us that the making of a miracle requires, amongst other things, an eye that perceives. An eye that perceives. I was amazed at the number of biblical scholars 
who claim that in this particular passage, Jesus did not have to create from nothing or nowhere a school of fish to be beside the boat from which Peter was required to fish. Oh, he could have if he wanted to. The God who created the sun, the moon, the stars, through his son Jesus Christ, could have very easily, instantaneously, miraculously, caused a school of fish to appear in, in that lake of Galilee. But most scholars think not. They think that the school of fish, that the fish were there already, but that Jesus was able to see it with his eye of perception. This way, according to H.V. Morton, a man who has written extensively about that part of the world, he claims that even to this day, fishermen over in the Sea of Galilee fish the same way sometimes as did the disciples in the days of Jesus. That was, they were in partners. And one would get in a boat and go not too far from shore, and he would take this, this beautiful, closely knit net made of mesh. It had a wide, circular mouth which was weighted with lead pellets. And he would cast this with his skill into the waters and then begin to pull it with the open mouth toward him, hence capturing the fish and that his partner would be standing in a chore. And he would tell the fisherman in the boat where to cast the net. Because with the light being just right, the man standing on the shore could have a perception which the man in the boat could not have. And the man on the boat directed was directed by the man who was on the shore. And one way of explaining this particular parable was that Jesus, from his vantage point had a perception which Peter had not and he saw the school of fish and he told Peter to cast down his net and he caught the fish the point is you see that you have to have an eye of perception you don't have to be Jesus to make a miracle you have to have though the eye of perception to see and to perceive many many people many many people saw a kettle boiling and the steam causing the lid to raise but it was only James James Watt who saw in that the perception of the steam engine many people saw an apple drop from a tree but it took Isaac Newton to perceive in that particular action the law of gravity. I wear on my wrist what some people call, and I think it's right, a miracle. It's a digital watch. And somebody in my lifetime took those simple comp components, which I understand don't really cost very much, and realized that they could revolutionize the whole watch and time industry by making those things in a particular way combine to tell time. That's perception. And ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to be Jesus to have that perceptivity. We have it, you have it at work, you have it at school, you have it in homes. Some people even get it in church or from reading their Bible. Yes. Does it amaze you that one day a man who is an executive in one of the leading companies of America was sitting studying the, the second chapter of the book of Exodus and he came to that third verse which explains 
how the mother of Moses built the the little ark which was put in the bulrushes, that little cradle, and how she lined it, in the third verse it says, with slime and pitch. And that man, the executive of his company, began to think if there was pitch, then there must be oil. And if there was oil there in the day of Moses, it must still be there. And he sent one of his chief geologists to that part of the world. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how the Standard Oil Company began in Egypt. God is bombarding us daily here in your work, at school, in your homes, as we drive up our automobiles, as we're in prayers, when we study the Bible, every time that we do anything, God is bombarding us with materials and components for miracles. And he who has an eye to see will perceive and begin to make a miracle. That's one thing that makes a miracle. Another is the Word, having ears to hear the Word. Just look at this story. Jesus wants to preach. He finds his pulpit in an unused fishing vessel. Peter just came in from using that same vessel. Now, he didn't listen to Jesus preaching, remember. Now, he was off to the side washing the nets. Now, I don't know much about fishing. I don't know if the worst thing in the world is getting ready to go out or cleaning up when you come back. It's all horrible to me. But anyway, here was Peter over the side washing a net. He didn't hear what Jesus had to say. And then the Bible tells us that when Jesus was preaching to this great multitude from probably the bow or the stern of the ship, he says to Peter, Put out into the deep and let down your net for the catch. Now get the picture. Here's the big, burly, profane Peter, the fisherman of the sea. He's been out all night. He didn't have one nibble or one strike. He's tired. He's irritable. He hasn't had breakfast, and he wants to go to bed. And some young upstart of a carpenter, who when he went on the boat, fell sound asleep, remember? He's telling the big fisherman how to fish. I think if I'd been Peter, I'd either ignored the word and pretend I never heard it, I'd have gotten a little angry, given that carpenter a lecture on fishing or I'd have blown my stack but not Peter Peter you see had an ear to hear and he said according to your word I will let down the net that's wonderful you don't have to be Jesus to have the perception to see a miracle coming. But you must follow the words of Jesus. You must have an ear to hear them if the miracle is ever going to come about. Do you realize what would have happened that day if Peter had ignored the word of Jesus? There would have been no catch, no miracle. 
But when you hear the word of Jesus, miracles happen. Hearing, obeying, that is. What words? Words like, come unto me, all ye are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn from me. You must be born again. Love one another as I have loved you. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Go into all of the world. Words like those. But you see, like Peter, sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we're worn out. Sometimes we've been out all night. Sometimes we're just sick and tired of working and getting not ahead. But unlike Peter, we refuse to say, okay, Lord, according to your word. Instead, we want to fight him. We want to prove that he's wrong. We try to say, Lord, you don't understand our work anymore. You don't know what it's like to work where I have to work. You don't know the temptations I face. And we do everything in our power, everything in our power, to try and disprove God's word. And then we wonder why no miracles happen. A miracle takes an eye to perceive and an ear that hears God's word and a spirit that is willing to try again. That's the third thing, a spirit that is willing to try again. That's the great thing about Peter, he didn't quit. God alone knows how many greatnesses have been lost, how many prized possessions not won, how many failures have been caused because people have been too tired, too lazy, too stubborn, too hurt to try again, to try again. You know, there is absolutely no greater virtue that has more meaning and understanding than that unromantic virtue of perseverance. When they went to lay the cable on the floor of the Atlantic to connect England with America by means of the telegraph. Took three years and eight attempts. First man to fly an airplane over the English Channel. He built himself and then flew and crashed and smashed ten airplanes and it was only the eleventh one where he was able to make it. We could go on and go on and go on. Progress, you see, ladies and gentlemen. Progress in this world is built upon the idea, the possibility that we can eradicate, eradicate and erase the word impossible from our English language. I like it the way those Israelites have it. They have a saying over there. The difficult we do today, the impossible will take a few days. That's it. But it takes perseverance. God, you know, he called a group of people to go out into the world, baptizing in his name, to go out and turn that world upside down. That seemed like an impossible task, but by the power of his Holy Spirit, they did it. When there's trouble in the world, God sends a social reformer to break down walls which seem like they'll never fall, but slowly they crumble, and slowly and surely they fall. I've seen people who have been in the grasp of some habit, alcohol, drugs, things like that. People stand around, shake their heads, it's too bad. It's impossible for that person to be made live and then comes AA. 
for there comes a loving concern. There's somebody who cares and listens and extends not only the hand of correction, but the tap of love. And a person is reborn. Never say anything is impossible. But the miracle is not over. It's not over until another ingredient comes, and that is what, for lack of a better term, I call an astonishment which enlists. An astonishment which enlists. You see, that's the great thing here. The eye to perceive, the ear to hear, the spirit that is willing to try again. And then when the miracle came, it wasn't over until Peter was astonished and surprised and called out in excitement what had happened. We don't know who was with him. We assume his brother, who was his partner, Andrew, was there. But he had to call for his other partners, James and John, to come and help. And these men, all of whom were so tired, now were suddenly feeling a new amount of strength. Those people who were hungry now were filled with a new joy. Those men who were grumbling now were thrilled with happiness and shouting from the tops of their lungs. They had received a blessing and they wanted everybody to know about it. And their excitement enlisted the response of all kinds of people. And that's what a miracle is supposed to do. That's what God is doing in sending us these many things which we can perceive and accomplish and stick with. God is blessing us with miracles and he wants us to be astounded and excited and thrilled and allow that experience of joy to enlist other people to follow him. But what do we do? We act just like Peter. You know, when that great joy was coming, when the boats were overfilled, when Peter had put out into the deep and let down his nets for the catch, when the catch came, Peter had the tendency that you and I have. Oh, Lord, it's not right. Lord, Lord, get away from me. I'm unclean. Lord, I don't deserve this. Lord, please, not me. And Jesus had to come back to him with the word that he has to come to you and me occasionally with. Do not be afraid. It's a great, great day. This is a wonderful thing. Don't question my grace. Take it and use it. And let other people see your good works with which I have blessed you and let them glorify you through your works and above all me, your Father in heaven. That's what it's about. And in closing, just let me, I only have a few minutes, say that, that one of the miracles which I feel we enjoy in this church comes week after week when through five little microphones established throughout this sanctuary. The voices of all of us are heard in Erie, in Akron, Ohio, Wheeling, Hancock, Maryland, clear beyond the ski slopes of the Laurel Mountains. I often question the value of this radio ministry, especially on days like last Sunday when it keeps many of our faithful people home and keeps them from enjoying the, the thrill that God has in bringing us together in worship. But I'm very grateful for the responses which come from what people have found astonishing and have helped to bring about the blessing that others are enlisted to follow Jesus. This past week was no exception. I received in a letter this last Friday 
a letter from attorney in Pittsburgh telling us that a woman by the name of Mrs. Myrtle E. Flickinger, if you knew her, I, I wish you'd let me know something about her. She'd been listening to our broadcast undoubtedly for years. The Lord called her home December 21st. And in the reading of her will, she left this church $2,000 to support the radio ministry. That's what I'm talking about. She was astonished. She wanted to tell others, and now she allowed her astonishment to be shared so that other people may know Jesus. I didn't keep that story a secret. Many letters come in from time to time. I don't tell you all about them. But this is a ministry for which we thank God. And people are finding a miracle from it. And you are a part of it. Praise be to God. And ladies and gentlemen, what this world needs today more than a miracle are people who know that they are miracles. That's us. Amen and hallelujah. Father, you've blessed us very, very much throughout life. You've given us so much. Forgive us when we forget to live on the high plane to which we have been called and realize that you're working in this world today in spite of us, for us, and through us. Thanks be to God. And now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be and abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen.